can see what I'm reading. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called beloved in God, the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. Now I want to remind you <clears throat> Excuse me. Although you once fully knew it, that Jesus who saved a people out of the land of Egypt afterward destroyed those who did not believe, and the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued a natural desire, serve as an example by under, undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning, animals under, understand instinctively. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts as they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds, swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It was also about this that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way. And of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers 
malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loud-mouthed boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, and now and forever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks for that reading. That was fantastic. Uh, yeah, just great to be reminded about Jude. So Jude is already a sermon, and uh, just hearing that already is probably possibly enough. But anyways, I'm going to explain it to you anyways today. Uh, it's such a privilege to be able to open the year with you at the first church service of the year here at Wyoming. Uh, let's pray that this year is a better one than the last one. Um, but what better way to start the year than with God's word, as uh, as well as so yeah, what better way to start uh, with God's word and with these challenging words of Jude, um, but also really helpful and encouraging as well. Well, as part of my break uh, over Christmas, uh, there was a lots of film watching, as I'm sure most people have been doing. Uh, uh, Christmas films too, I'm sure. Uh, I love a good film, but what about you out there? Are there any uh, film fanatics out there? Uh, it's a shame I couldn't ask the people in the other room as well. Um, but hands up if you, you like a good film. Ah, oh, yeah, there's some. That's great. Uh, well, uh, here's a bit of a test. So there's a slide I'm going to show you. Guess if you can see uh, what this film is. Um, so, yep, who, hands up if you know what, what film this is or what, you know, James Bond. Yeah, that's clear. Okay, do you know which one it is? Hold on. It's Timothy Dodd, yes. But uh, what about uh, which uh, which one is it? What? Oh, it's clo very close. Something about killings. <laughs> A license to kill. Got it. Okay. Does anyone know what year it was released? Oh well, I'll, I'll, I'll spoil it. It's 1989. So the year after I was born. Um, it's okay. There's lots of James Bond films. So um, okay. So this James Bond film movie is a. Uh, uh, so the premise of this film is that he's a secret agent, and his uh, and uh, and his license to kill is revoked. But he doesn't he d he disregards that anyways. But uh, yeah, well I think it's a really interesting idea, isn't it? Uh, in fact, it's a pretty hilarious idea if you think about it, because if you've watched any James Bond movie, well he has to utilize this license 
a lot uh, because, uh, you know, he has to kill a lot as part of his job. Um, but just the idea that someone has a license for killing people, well, it's hilarious. It's ridiculous, isn't it? Uh, I wonder if he gets it printed on a, on a certificate or on a card. So if the police catch him in the act, he just presents his card and, and, and the police looks at it and he goes, oh, carry on. <laughs> so apparently it's okay for James Bond to kill because he has a license to kill. Well, what about us Christians? What kind of licenses come with being a Christian? Well, let's try this one. It's well known that Jesus commands Christians to love and care for one another. So you might say that Christians, well, they have a license to love. Uh, Or as uh, Christians get to know more about God and his plans for the world and the gospel message, you might say he gives us a license to preach the good news. Who else in the world knows the good news of Jesus other than those who follow him? Well, you know what? Some people actually believe that because Jesus has paid for our sin, past, present, and future, then Christians, well, we really have a license to sin because the consequences for any sin we commit, well, it's already been taken away by Jesus' death. Uh, Given you say sorry to God, of course. Well, what do you think? Does being a Christian give us a license to sin? Or to put it another way, if I'm an ungodly Christian, will God forgive me? If I'm an ungodly Christian, will God forgive me? Well, that's exactly the question we're going to explore deeper today. And helpfully, that's exactly what the book of Jude is about. You might have wondered, oh, what's this little book? One page book before the book of Revelation. What is it all about? Well, it's about this. It's about, um, it's about whether God will forgive us. What does God think of ungodly people? So Jude, the brother of Jesus, writes this book. He's a leader of the church at this time, along with his brother, James. uh, And he writes a letter to the first century Christians. And this is his introduction to the letter. And it gives us an idea of what he's writing about. So he says, To those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. So did you notice there's something strange about this introduction? Something is missing. Uh, Who can tell me what's missing? There's one word. It's usually a word that uh, Paul uses at the beginning of his letters. Uh, He always opens with this one word. What is it? Greetings? No, it's not not greetings, but he does open with that all the time. Um, uh, Another word. Grace. That's it. Uh, he always opens with the blessing of grace, confident that the people he's writing to understand it. So Paul's letters, they all start with grace. Peter's letters, they all start with grace. But for some reason, Jude's letter, it starts without grace. How strange, what's wrong here? Well, if you look a bit further down in verse three to four, we find out. We find out that Jude wishes he could write to the church, being confident they understand grace But unfortunately, he's found out that they don't. Some people don't. Sadly, some people that he writes to don't understand grace. And by definition, well, they're not Christians then. So instead, Jude has to write about this. What does he have to write about? Well, we'll have a look in verse three to four. He says, 
Uh, dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, that is the salvation by grace, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. So they need to be told again what the gospel is. And why does he need to do that? Well, it's because uh, of this. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Aha, so that's why Jude is writing. He's writing because he wants to warn and correct people, correct people who call themselves Christians, but they don't properly understand grace. They understand that grace means that we're forgiven by God for the things we don't deserve to be forgiven for if we trust in Jesus. Um, but what's missing is that they use grace for, as a license for sin. They actually use grace to deny uh, Jesus our Lord. In other words, ungodly people, well, they don't care about God. They just wanna use God's grace as a get out of jail card, as a way to help them to avoid the consequences for disobeying God. And uh, it needs no more explanation. This is just wrong. So that's, uh, so Jude uh, makes an argument against that, uh, against this kind of behavior in the church. Uh, and he argues for this. He argues that grace, what is it for? Well, grace should lead to obedience. Grace shouldn't be used as a license for sin. Grace should, be, uh, should lead to obedience. That's the big idea. Well, how does Jude argue that grace should lead to obedience? Well, first he points this out uh, by telling us that rebellion against God will result in punishment. Rebellion against God will result in punishment for those who don't commit to obeying him. So Jude, Jude isn't messing around here with the people he's writing to. He gets straight to the point and he goes straight for the throat. We see this in verse five to 10, uh, where Jude lists off a bunch of alarming examples from the Old Testament of how God didn't hesitate to destroy people who rebelled against him. So first in verse five, we uh, hear about the Israelites in the wilderness, straight after they'd been freed from, uh, saved by God uh, from Egypt. And uh, Jude says this, he says, I want to remind you that the Lord at one time delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. So here God destroys those who don't trust him. Uh, when they questioned God's intentions on their journey to Israel, people that were saved, uh, well, they claimed that God went back on his promise. God doesn't care about us. He just wants to kill us in the desert and make us uh, a laughing stock. Well, we know that uh, many times they did that uh, and, uh, and it didn't went well for them. Well, God destroyed those who didn't trust him in the desert. And uh, Jude's point is that we should be careful. Uh, if we're one, even if we're ones God has favored, God's favored people, even Christians today, we should be careful to think that God won't ever punish us for not trusting and rebelling against him um, and mocking him because he will judge us uh, if we continue that way uh, because he's done it before. We see it in, in history. Um, 
So that's the first example he uses. Then Jude turns uh, to a second example. We see this in verse 6. Uh, he talks about angels. Jude talks about how even angels, beings that are close to God, the closest beings to God, well, they're not immune to God's judgment if they rebel against him either. In fact, because they abandon their positions of authority and heavenly dwellings. So in the Bible, we learn that uh, we don't know when, but the angels turn against God. Some angels turn against God and they're, uh, and they're kept away in darkness. Uh, and it says here, um, God has kept them in darkness for judgment on the great day. Even they can't be, won't be spared if they rebel against God. So here Jude is further pushing the point that people shouldn't feel safe uh, from God's punishment if they don't trust him or turn away from trusting him. Even if, even if you're a Christian, because if you don't trust him, well, by definition, you're not a Christian, sadly. Um, if God destroys even heavenly beings for disobeying him, then a Christian who transitions back into disobeying God, well, surely they'll be punished for their sins in the end as well, if they keep going that way. So to these two examples, Jude adds another, and maybe it's the most vivid and shocking example of the lot. Uh, it's a, he goes, calls back to history, uh, calls back to the, um, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, Jude reminds the first century Christians what happened in Genesis 14. Uh, well, in the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, what did they do? Well, they were so rebellious and so sinful against God, uh, and it started to work its way out in different ways. And in particular, they are in with sexual immorality. So uh, we see in Genesis 14, they even wanted to have sex uh, with angels. So these angels had come to rescue Lot from the judgment coming for, to this uh, to Sodom and Gomorrah, these sinful towns. Um, but uh, but what do these people do? Well, they actually want to have uh, sexual relations with these angels. They're so enslaved by their sin and their addiction to sex that they uh, would, they're happy to mock God and uh, do these things with God's heavenly servants. Well, this is wrong, isn't it? Because they're not made for their pleasure, um, but they're made for serving God only. Why would they want to do such a thing? So God destroys these people uh, by sending burning sulfur from the skies and he completely destroys them. And Jude goes further to say that uh, it's not just an isolated event in a sense. They're, that happens to serve the needs as an example for those uh, who will suffer the punishment of the eternal fire at the end of time. Uh, so if we're, we're found to be not trusting God in uh, when he comes to judge, well then uh, similar things, the same intensity of things uh, will happen to us in judgment. So we should be afraid. Okay, well, that's very intense. But to these negative examples, uh, Jude adds a positive example, just for a bit of variety. Um, but it's a weird one uh, because you might say it's an example not taken from the Bible. It's uh, an example taken from popular Jewish culture uh, at the time. So in the first century, a text was circulating around called the Accusation of Moses. That's not actually the Accusation of Moses. That's uh, one of the... Uh, parchments for the New Testament or something like that. Um, but this text was uh, circulating around and Jews and Christians knew it very well. Uh, so, uh, so apparently the final missing part of this text, which we don't have today, but the early uh, Christian uh, church leaders, they knew about this text and they said that this was indeed, this story was a, a part of this text that's missing. 
And uh, so what happens in that, in that text is a high-ranking angel of God, um, the archangel Michael, comes and disputes with Satan over Moses' body. So uh, he dispute, they dispute about whether his body should be buried. So Satan was claiming that Moses was a sinner uh, because he killed that Egyptian slave driver, remember? Uh, so he doesn't deserve to be buried. He's a sinner. However, the archangel Michael responds to Satan in an interesting way. Uh, he says to him, Lord, rebuke you. So what this highlights is the archangel refused to rebuke Satan uh, on his own terms, though he knew full well that Satan was doing the wrong thing. Uh, but so Jude's point in showing us this is that even in this popular story, it proves that even archangels, well, they don't have the right to mock other celestial uh, or heavenly beings, even if they're evil or done the wrong thing. But only God has the right to make value judgments on his servants, his creation, good or evil. So Jude points out that it doesn't matter who you are, if you undermine what God commands of us, whether it be something commanded through his angels or apostles, well, it's rejecting God all the same. Well, these ungodly people Jude talks about, well, they're probably rejecting God in similar ways to those in Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, but because Jude gives them as an example of uh, these people that he's talking about in, uh, in the first century times. So it's likely that they were committing uh, sexual sin. Uh, they might have been even uh, committing sexual uh, immorality with people in the church, other Christians, and excusing it because they think believing in Jesus means that God can't touch them. They won't be ju judged for it and they can keep doing it. Well, Jude is saying that when we do that, well, we make a mockery of God. Uh, as if uh, when, we, when we think that God won't judge us for the things that we do, uh, even though it's wrong and not what he commands of us, uh, which is simply not the case. Okay, so we've talked about these ungodly people a lot, uh, but what might this have to do with us today? What does Jude have to teach us today? Well, he wants to teach us that God will judge those who don't continue in the faith. And we shouldn't feel too safe, in a sense. We shouldn't think that rebelling against him constantly uh, is going to end well. Well, this might shock you, and, and uh, in a sense, Jude wants it to have that effect. It's meant to have that effect, because if we continue to willfully disobey God, even if we think we're Christians, it'll result in God's punishment. Because to willfully disobey God is not Christian. To not, uh, not trusting God, disobeying God is saying to him that you're the boss and not him. And, uh, and that's simply not fact. That's simply not true. We'll know that God has standards and he won't encourage or bless people who consciously mock him. Look at the many examples in the Old Testament, people who consciously rebelled against God. Well, they were destroyed. God didn't save us so we'd rebel against him, um, but, but to change and to submit ourselves under him. So rebellion against God will result in punishment. Well, is that the only reason that we shouldn't uh, take grace for granted so that we won't be punished? Well, no. Jude goes on to explain that ungodly people, well, they're not valuable to God and his people. Ungodly people are not valuable to God and his people. Okay, let me qualify some things. Let me clarify what I'm not saying first uh, because yeah, you might misunderstand me in saying something like that. 
I'm not saying that God doesn't want to save ungodly people. Um, in fact, the Bible tells us the opposite, doesn't it? The gospel is the, tells us the opposite. Jesus has come to save ungodly people who haven't done anything good, not even one thing. We learned that in Romans 3, uh, verse 10 to 12. However, what Jude is saying is that God's purpose in sending Jesus to die for sins, well, it was to help us to go clean slate, to help people to give up on their sinful way of life. And now instead, we had to seek to do good things. Uh, so that's why ungodly people are not valuable to God and his people. Uh, ungodly people do not serve the best interest of God or his people. Ungodly people, well, they only serve themselves. Okay, well, how does Jude explain this in his book, in his letter? Well, he explains that ungodly people who claim that they're Christians, well, they do things for their own benefit, not for God's benefit, not for other people. So in verse 11, he lists off some old examples of people who only cared about themselves in similar ways. Uh, so people like Cain, who killed his brother, his own brother, uh, so, so that his offering to God, well, it might be the best. In other words, he wanted to take out the competition so that uh, he would be the best and be most favoured by God. And he was punished. Or Korah, so he was one of the Levites, uh, one of the, uh, the priestly tribe, and he tried to take the leadership of God's people from Moses and Aaron. He thought, look, why do they get to be the leader of God's people? I'd be a better leader because I want to be leader. And, uh, and that didn't end well for him either. So all these people, they were punished for their self-seeking efforts to steal from God's people, to steal from God. They might not have thought that they were doing that at the time, but indeed that's uh, essentially what they were doing. So Jude uh, uses this, uh, these examples and he accuses the people of his time in the first century of doing similar things at Christian gatherings. So Jude further explains that these are what these people are like by uh, comparing them to a few Old Testament images. So what are they like when at Christian gatherings? Well, they're like this. Uh, they are like shepherds who feed only themselves. They are like leaders who only care about themselves and not those who depend on them. So this is an image taken from the Old Testament. Uh, the major and minor prophets like Isaiah and Micah uh, talking about how uh, the people who are meant to lead God's people were... Uh, the Jews was, were actually taking advantage of them. So Jude calls them this because at Christian gatherings, these ungodly Christians, they come, uh, but they only come for their own benefit. They only come to fill themselves up with food and then leave. Well, Jude also says that they're like clouds without rain. So this is the uh, image from Proverbs because these people, they look godly, they look promising that they'll offer other people good things and they'll benefit the Christian community. Um, but uh, but they're disappointing. They don't actually do anything of that nature. Uh, so they're disappointing like clouds without rain. Also, he describes them like autumn trees or bad crops that bear no fruit. So Jude calls them this because they don't trust God. So they're, um, they're useless to him because they don't do anything good. They don't have any fruit because they're not rooted in a trust of God. Well, Jude doesn't just explain that the Old Testament talks about these kinds of people, but he also uses the Old Testament to explain uh, what will happen to them. And for some reason, we don't exactly know why. Once again, he uses a text that's uh, not the Bible, 
uh, he refers to a, something else that's written between uh, the o- Old Testament and New Testament period called the Book of Enoch. Um, but he uses it to summarize uh, what the Bible teaches about uh, ungodly people or false prophets in the last days. So what he does uh, is he, uh, with that text, he summarizes uh, what the Bible teaches as this. God's coming to judge ungodly people for all the ungodly acts they commit against him. So Jude uses, uh, uses that to describe what the apostles teach. And we learn about that in verse 17 to 18, uh, which similarly foretold that in the last times, there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. The apostles warned about this because Jesus himself warned about this uh, during his earthly ministry. Uh, What the apostles taught is that ungodly people would come in the last times. And uh, Jude helpfully helps us also uh, after that to identify how, uh, how, sorry, help us to identify these people in the last days. So for example, what they do is they scoff, which means that they're constantly mocking and slandering and criticizing others, nitpicking. They divide people, they cause people to be against each other and hate one another by bad mouthing and gossiping about other people, siding people against each other. Uh, these people, they follow their own natural instincts and not God. Uh, so in an, another way of describing them is that they, there's no spirit, they're only flesh. They have, they're not, God is not motivating what they do, only their own desires uh, are motivating what they do. So because ungodly people act this way, well, unfortunately, they're not valuable to God and his people. And, uh, and Jude encourages people to watch out for them. Well, Jude has done a lot about talking about these people uh, and who they are and their value to God's people. However, what does he want Christians to do about them? He hasn't actually told us that yet. Uh, And that's what he does in this last section, verse 20 to 25. He fleshes it out. And in summary, this is what he says. And it's our third and last point. Uh, Contending for the faith. Well, this is letting grace lead to obedience. Contending for the faith is letting grace lead to obedience. So you might recall in verse three, he said uh, that he felt compelled to write to them, to urge them to contend for the faith uh, that was entrusted to God's holy people. Well, he hasn't spelled out what that means yet. So he leaves the very best to last. And he recommends that people do this in two ways. And the first way is about the self, about one's own faith, to keep our own faith alive. This is what he talks about in verse 20 to 21. So he says, but you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternity. So what's his advice for contending for the faith? Well, firstly, it's simply to keep uh, yourself in the most holy faith. Make sure your faith is holy. What he means by this is that we keep learning. about what it looks like to trust Jesus, uh, observing other people as they have a go doing this, learning from other people, encouraging one another and keeping each other accountable uh, as we do that. Well, in what context are we meant to do this? Well, it's not rocket science. We do this at church. That's why we come every week. 
That's why we meet together, not just on a Sunday, but we have uh, midweek Bible studies or even not formal things. Spending time with one another, encouraging one another, and as you do that, praying for one another. Uh, Praying in the Holy Spirit, which means praying according to God's will and what He wants you to do. Praying that God might uh, help your lives to be more uh, glorifying to Him. That your lives might bring glory to Him. Well, to this Jude adds in verse 21, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for God. What does this mean? Well, it's the same language that Jesus uses in John 15, talking about the vine and the branches. How do we bear fruit? How do we do the things that God wants us to do? Well, it's in this picture I've got here. Uh, you know, how do they, look, at those, look at those grapes, they're amazing. How are they able to bear so much fruit? Well, it's, it's because they're connected to the vine. That's not an image we see a lot because we just buy them in the packet. But, um, but they, I guarantee they got their nutrients from the vine. So keep yourselves in God's love. Keeping ourselves in God's love means that we trust Him in our lives. We listen to His word. Commit to doing what Jesus wants you to do. And as we do that, we bear fruit. Seeing real change in our lives and how we think and act and feel about God and others. And even sacrificing what we might want to do ourselves uh, for the things that we feel Jesus wants us to do or He commands us to do in His word. So that's what uh, Jude wants Christians to do, to prevent ourselves from being ungodly Christians by working on our personal faith. If we're not godly Christians, we can't help uh, those who uh, who aren't. And secondly, Jude encourages Christians to help others from being ungodly Christians. Work on yourselves and help others. Jude tells us that uh, what this looks like in verse 22 to 23. He says, be merciful to those who doubt, save others by snatching them from the fire, To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupt flesh. In other words, Jude wants us to be merciful, but sharp. So firstly, to be merciful and compassionate to those who are struggling, knowing full well those people could easily be us. And seek to help them, not shunning them and ignoring them, not thinking we're better than them, but seeking opportunities to snatch them from the fire which I take is rebuking them, confronting them about these things appropriately and gently showing them uh, where they're wrong uh, to win them over to the truth again and repent for their own good. And as you do that, uh, there's a saying that, that I've, uh, I've come by in my time and it's a good one. I don't know where I got it from, but it's this. If, you, uh, if you're not willing to help someone through the sin that you're rebuking them about, then, then don't bother rebuking them. If you're not willing to help them every step of the way or along the way at least uh, for the things you rebuke them for, well, well, well don't do it. Uh, you want to measure uh, what you want to weigh up what your motives are. Is it because I just want to have my two cents or is it because I want to help them? It's uh, really important. Be willing to actually help them to stop doing whatever it is that they're doing that's not right. And as you do that, show mercy mixed with fear hating even the clothing stained by corrupt flesh. So what that means is as you go about helping a friend to work through sinful behaviors, as you meet up with them, you chat with them, even uh, over the phone or just message them, uh, be on your guard. Don't in emphasizing, uh, empathizing with them, let yourself fall into the same sin. So for example, if you're helping someone who's struggling with gossip, 
then don't gossip. <laughs> uh, if you're helping a friend to stop other kind of behaviours, don't start uh, taking up that behaviour and think it's a good idea for yourself. Listening and empathising, yes, but don't lighten the seriousness of sin. Contending for the faith is letting grace lead to obedience. Well, to return to where we started, uh, what about that question I asked at the beginning? What if I'm an ungodly Christian? Will God forgive me? Well, the answer is yes. If we come to God in legitimate faith and repentance, yes, He will forgive us every time. It's, there's nobody too far gone for God to forgive, no matter what you've done, so long as you genuinely uh, want to get rid of your sin and you trust Jesus to pay for it, to deal with it. However, if you consistently ungodly and defiantly rebel against God, knowing full well it's not what He wants you to do, uh, well, we've got to remember that that's not what Jesus saving you is all about. Jesus saved you because He wants us to change for the better. So if you continue on in this rebellious behavior against God, then uh, this year, maybe consider carefully whether you actually are a Christian. The Bible would call this unfruitfulness. Jesus talks about that person who does not bear good fruit. Well, they're not a Christian. And anyone who isn't legitimately trusting Jesus uh, and, and pursues on with that, uh, well, they will be punished by God. So remember that grace is not to be used as a license for sin. Grace should lead to obedience. And a true faith is marked by repentance from sin. Well, uh, we've started the year in a heavy way reading Jude. Um, and, and I've got to admit, you know, I struggle with lots of these things. Don't, don't think that I'm perfect, please. Uh, you know, Let's pray that this year we would reflect, you know, do we live a life that trusts God? We do things that we would naturally do because it's the right thing to do. It's what God wants us to do. Uh, and also, yeah, reflecting on our own faith. Are we able to be helpful to others? And are we willing to, uh, to risk uh, niceties to step in and help someone who maybe is wandering away? So uh, let's pray as we do that. And I'll conclude with some of the words of Jude. Uh, that he has here. You might even remember them as I, uh, as I quote them. Well, let's pray. Dear God, we thank you that you offer us so much on the cross, that you've forgiven us for our sin. But Lord, um, after being a Christian for a while, we've all experienced it. We do take your grace for granted and we forget what it's all about. But Lord, I pray that this year you would help us to consider carefully where we stand with you, that we would have you as Lord, not as our sidekick. Um, but Lord, I pray that you would help us to repent of sin. And um, yeah, Lord, I just pray that this year you'd help us to uh, be fruitful and do the things that you want us to do that are good for us. So Lord, I pray these things, Lord. And, and Lord, we conclude with the words of Jude. To him who is able to keep uh, you, us from unstumbling and to present us before his glorious presence without fault and with great glory. To the only God and Saviour be glory, majesty and power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore.